Is that because your golf game was on point today? It was on point, and I am celebrating. Bottle of Brown podcast. I'm your host, Danny Paul. Across from me is the husband to Triple B, the father of Little Do Butter, friend of many, Leon Coventry, ladies and gentlemen, Leon Coventry. Danny, that was a very nice introduction. It's about time I get the respect that deserves. Switch things up, man. Give you some love. But you're not alone, unfortunately. And the guest host chair tonight is Mr. Jones. Gentlemen, 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 gentlemen. Good to hear your voices. I like the regular appearance by Mr. Jones. Oh, this is yeah. Nice. We're, we're, we're hitting, uh, what are you, batting three for three now or four for I, four? I, you did a guest host spot when Leon decided he didn't want to do this anymore. So you're going it. on like a month. I just want to hang out with you guys. That's it. <laughs> Phantasmagorical donkey. You keep doing this. You play your cards right. You might get yourself a vice host spot. Ooh. Ooh. I'm in. All the cool so, kids are doing it. Let's get down mm-hmm. to brass text. What's the brown for this evening? Uh, tonight, I didn't go original. I didn't go outside the box. Um, I went to the old tried and true, the BT, the Buffalo Trace. Well done. And I did, and I did a heavy, heavy pour. So, <laughs> Thank you, sir, I hope I'm with you throughout the rest of the show. Well done, sir. How about well you, Jerry? Uh, I'm actually not drinking brown, but actually red. Uh, it is a estate's pizza, uh, petite Syrah from um, the Sonoma County area. So, oh. um, one of my favorite tried and true areas to pick up wine. So, leftovers from dinner tonight made a uh, really nice herb crusted uh, pork roast, and this went well with it. So, I figured, why not? Don't cork it, finish it. So, red is your brown tonight. Well red done, is my sir. Brown. Petite Syrah. How does it it work with, uh, you know, all the the rhymes hard before beer, you're in the clear, beer before Mm. hard, you're in the yard. Where does wine fall into that? Don't drink tequila and wine. (laughs) (laughs) This brown before wine and brown before down. (laughs) I can't think of a witty, witty line for that, but I'm just going to say magic 23 should jump in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm just going to say, I drink just the wine, leave it alone. It's perfect on its own. Don't mess with perfection. That's your age talking. Yeah, that's right. Well, it's also my refrigerator old. of way too much wine. I got to get through. Yeah. Can you, uh, can you get elucidate for the magic 23? How many bottles you have in your domicile? Uh, total probably about 225, 300, maybe 1200 uh, square foot house. Uh, magic 23. Yes. You know, you have a problem when you start filling your babies closet with the wine overflow from Every one closet 20 square feet has earned a bottle of wine ladies and gentlemen that is just <laughs> magnificent at its best <laughs> it's good stuff anyways i live in an area where wine's great so this is true this is true and uh in the spirit of that i have a little number here that was imported from sausalito california i'm continuing my round the world tour now that we've exited all of the bourbon that was in my liquor cabinet we're doing a little japanese number tonight this is Kisoyama Yuhi whiskey. 
Ooh, and what do you think of Nagano, Japan? It is sweet, mild, doesn't have much of a nose to it at all. And it doesn't have much of a bite. It is kind of a uh, kind of a three out of 10 across the board, but it is, it's kind of tasty. It's got a little bit of spice to it. It's very mellow and it is kind of a, uh, I'll have one of these when I get home. I would say maybe not a daily drinker, but certainly in a stable of daily drinkers. Maybe this is something that you mix with others because it is labeled as a whiskey. What I love about this is it is labeled a whiskey without an E, W-H-I-S-K-Y. Mm. Why? Because we love you. <laughs> Well, you know, I do respect that, Danny, because you're supposed to be drinking the Japanese stuff during the Olympics. And I am, I've dropped the ball on it. And I'm going to pick some up this week so that I can support our Tokyo Olympians. Well, you were drinking the PGA sponsor a couple episodes ago. I thought this was appropriate to ourselves a little uh, Japanese love for well played the Tokyo. Well played. Last count, I think we had like 69 medals or something. And the only one that was beating us in the golds was China, but China didn't have anywhere near our medal count. So we're still the, we're still the one to beat. You're mispronouncing it. It's China. China and Tokyo. <laughs> you know what? Mm. I'm excited. Okay, let's do I, it's a good show tonight. Let's get into uh let's get into some brown banter, shall we? You're gonna need a couple of things. You're gonna need shot glass. You're going to need some whiskey. This is the darkest brown you got. Yeah. A brown banter tonight circles around the concept of DTC or D2C, otherwise referred to as direct to consumer. There are many places around this planet where you can walk up to the person who makes the hooch and buy it direct. You can do it at breweries. You can do it at very special tasting rooms. But for the most part, since the 1920s in the era of prohibition, there have been rules in place that do not allow us to go direct. You have to go through a regulatory bound middleman who is typically the beer and wine distributor. This is not in line with a free market society. However, there are ways that it has been maneuvering and with the rise of direct to consumer sales because of the pandemic, the ability for take-home cocktails uh, and the rise of craft beer distilleries and whiskey distilleries around the country. I think it's interesting that we're seeing a wholesale, pun intended, migration away from the traditional model. So we wanted to talk about direct to consumer tonight. I pulled this story from the Wine and Spirits Wholesalers of America regarding their argument as to why direct-to-consumer is a bad thing. Informational article, you could probably consider it a white paper, starts that the WSWA and our industry partners strongly oppose the proposed statement of principles for DTC spirits shipping, currently being considered by the American Legislative Exchange Council. The principles are misleading, oversimplifying a complex issue, ignoring the efficacy and benefits of existing strong state regulatory systems, and glossing over real public health and safety concerns by treating alcohol like every other consumer product. It's time to talk facts. DTC and a safe and healthy marketplace don't coexist. In the past legislative session, every state that considered DTC spirits shipping failed to advance it due to real concerns over proof that the DTC marketplace, A, increases underage access, B, increases Ugh. access to counterfeit illicit product, C, loses state tax revenue, which in-state businesses and consumers pay the price for, D, enables bad actors at the mm. expense of state businesses, and it feels E, like two. creates a state-sanctioned uneven playing field. Furthermore, the statement of principles glosses over and omits information about the widespread and well-known enforcement 
and public health and safety issues rampant within the DTC wine marketplace. Thoughts, gentlemen? Let me jump in on here uh, real quick. So as you went through there, and if if you could scroll back up so that I can uh, call those out again, A, increases underage access. First of all, I don't even have to, I don't even have to save my position here. I think this middleman uh, is obsolete. It needs to go away. It's an unbelievable ancient relic of a prohibition period that is far gone from our country and we need to just get over it at this point. Uh, so let's, let's talk through each one of these In- increases underage access horseshit is what I say. <laughs> horseshit. You're still selling you, you, nothing changes. Distributors have to sell it. The law still exists. You still gotta be 21. All that still exists. It's horseshit. And really what is the danger is low anyway, because we're one of the only stupid countries out there that still hold us at 21 when nearly the entire rest of the world is at 18 or 19. And a lot of countries have nothing at all. So is that really an issue? Not really. Next one. Totally agree with. This is one that I'm actually on board with and it'd be nice to have something to know that when you just spent $300 on a bottle of booze, that this isn't a cheap booze in an expensive booze bottle. And uh, that is something that I will give this middleman model true credit for. Okay. So we're at one for two. Yeah. The take the state tax revenue horseshit. They're making money. The government will always make their money. It's just the way that they've structured the, the taxes and the fees now make sure that they get it. They get bites out of both ends. It's it's, BS enables bad actors at the expense of state business. That feels like we needed another point. So we're just going to throw this in there. I don't think there's any real substance to that, that at all. It more plays into like the, the, the counterfeit that's the bad actors. and whatnot. Yeah, They already have a point that calls that out. So they just re re emphasized a point they've already made, which is ridiculous. And then create state sanctioned, uneven playing field, a bullshit as well. And uh, what, what they're not calling out is it causes scarcity. It causes shortages uh, for products that really need to come in here. Great example, Ohio, right? If you would, uh, when I first moved there uh, 16, 17 years ago, 15 years, 16 years ago, they didn't have yingling. I don't think they even have it here in California. Maybe I have to go. I don't think you can get yingling west of the Mississippi. No. Right. Um, and, but yingling's made in Pennsylvania mm-hmm. and which is a, a two hour drive <laughs> from Columbus, but they wouldn't sell it to Ohio because the fat cats and the middlemen couldn't come to a deal where they felt like they were profiting enough off of yingling until it finally happened where the, they felt like, you know what, we're finally, we're making enough money off of you to make it worth. And they it finally got into the state to me. That's horseshit. Why is all the consumers have to sit there and wait for these guys to get paid even more? What is their role? What is their role? Just get them out of the way. You know, either direct to consumer, direct, even direct to retailers, you know, either way. But this this middleman distributor, a regulator, it's it's so obsolete to me. 
It, I, I don't know. I, I guess I, I'd have to sit down with somebody. And I was actually hoping that this article would would bring more facts to light to go, oh, okay, well, that I, that makes sense to me. This is why this exists. It exists to me even more now from this article that it's a worthless entity. It's obsolete. I'm sorry for everybody who makes money off of this. I actually have family that is in that, in that sector. I'm sorry, but you know what? Blockbuster is no good either. So <laughs> move on. Move on. It doesn't make sense anymore. Go find another industry that actually makes sense and actually benefits, benefits society instead of just drags it down like this piece of crap. <laughs> All right, I'm done. Every one of these bullet points basically says we're important because we've always been important, which, as you know, in business is the cardinal sin of death. Yes. Unless you are continuously providing value, there is no reason for you to exist. And the idea of cutting Thank out you. the middleman, specifically in the retail environment, has been happening for decades. Amazon yeah. was the largest linchpin of this business model that has completely unraveled itself. So what is it that you do other than make alcohol available on a shelf? Well, unless I can taste the alcohol before I buy it, like a shoe store, you actually do not provide any value, sir. All you do is jack up the price because you got to take your cut. And the part about creating a opportunity for supplier monopoly formation, the monopoly is all on the side of the distributor because there's only so many distributors allowed in a given region. So all of this is the most detestable rancid horseshit I have ever heard. Uh, all it does is harm the consumer and creates uh, a cartel that was formulated at the end of prohibition as a condition of the passage of one of the amendments in the 20s. I can't remember which one it is, but I'll look it up while you guys are talking. 21st. My man is back is. in the audio. He's back. Welcome back. <laughs> I don't know why that happened there. Sorry, gentlemen. Um, I was just going to say, you know, I, I, I hear uh, Leon's passion here about this is kind of a, it's an interesting dichotomy when you have businesses that um, produce an alcohol product and are trying to get out to the masses. Usually they have to lean on distributors to actually get their product out because they don't have the sales channel to move their product all the way across countries, state lines, oceans, whatever it is. So it, they do play a an intricate role in kind of expansion in business to, you know, give up margin so that you can fill with growth. That being said, I do hear a lot of the echoing comments here that this argument is kind of BS. It, it it's, it's an interesting balance when you have businesses um, in the wine craft beers or uh, uh, spirits business where they, they are hamstring at the cost to move product off of their dock to somewhere else, whether they pay for that cost leaving from their dock to the next you know, warehouse or it's on the, they sow that price into their sales. So it, it's interesting. I'll only add that like distributors take a huge chunk of the margin for these businesses. You have to be able to willing to give it up. In many cases, it's almost 50%. So simply put, if you sell if your bottle of wine or booze sells for 20 bucks, you know, you're giving up 10 bucks immediately to this guy so he can move it across the country and sell it, if not more. So it becomes a difficult balance that you don't want too much of one and too much of the other. Um, it has its place. It doesn't need to be so dominant. Um, I think direct to consumer is the best for the business if they can build that sales channel. Um, it takes time to do so. 
uh, is not easy to do as you're a new business that's entering a market. But if you can do it, your direct to consumer is going to yield the biggest margins for you. And you're going to be very, very profitable. And at the end of the day, when you have businesses like that, they are bought and sold by companies such as these, uh, these distributors, the constellations, the ABVs and so forth. So Mr. Jones, I'm going to, I'm going to jump in and I, and you know me, I I like conflict. So I'll jump in and, (laughs) and, uh, and counter a couple on. of those points. So, mm-hmm. so one of your points, I, I do agree with that on a lot of levels. Um, you know, probably around the 1913 to 1920 era, when everything in technology that exists today, especially social media, call it, call whatever information superhighway is out there. So at that time, you had to have relationships, you had to distribute, you had to, because that was an honest living that you spent a lot of time building those relationships to sell, the, sell these types of things. My argument is that is incredibly obsolete and such a relic. It doesn't I'll, exist anymore. I will 100% disagree with you. Okay. <laughs> well, good. Simply put, good. we got a minute, Simply gentlemen. Put, your your argument is basically I have to in your, in some cases go online and purchase everything or travel in my car or whatever it is to whatever location that is to directly purchase all of these no, items. No, 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 no. When I'm not removing retailers. I'm not removing retailers. They, I'm retailers distributors. The retailers cannot be the in to your grocery stores, your liquor stores. There has to be a distributor that's involved. That's the niche Why? that allows for the growth. They don't have, like I had said at the very beginning, they don't have the capital for the trucks and everything else to move the product from their dock to the shelf. You need someone to do that. That's the negotiations that these wholesalers provide. They provide the shelf space. They provide the transportation of the product for the growth for the future. So you can't, you can't sit here and go, well, I just want to get rid of them completely because it doesn't work. It fits in some ways because it's convenient and you go to your grocery store and you buy a bottle of this. Great. It's on the shelf. If they don't have it. Okay. You go to the next store. You can't have, I mean, I I hear you, but I, but I hear what you're saying, but I think today, especially in the last five years, Worldwide logistics have transformed. They're not the same. They're not the same. And I, and I, I can tell you they're not the same because I, you know, I'm looking out there at every giant ship we talked about last week. Uh, You order anything you want to on Amazon in any way, shape or form you want to. It's the same wastefulness of having boxes pile up at your house and a guy basically now delivering one box to your house 20 times a day. Like it just, it just doesn't, it's not feasible but the waste the waste is either waste or it's hit you're handing it to somebody else you're handing it it's still the same price like what like you're talking about so that's what i'm arguing i don't think it is it's the same price because they're not going to basically give up their margin the price is 20 bucks period to my example if if it only costs me five bucks to make and i'm looking at a 75 percent margin okay if i was directly sell it but if i have to give up that five percent more or the 50%. So I only collect the, the, the 25%, then, you know, that's what it is. So I can see my growth. I hear what you're saying, I guess, for the large scale, the massive movers, it's not even the massive, it's the small guys. It's the guy that they're basically starting something out at like 5,000 cases that are growing Mm -hmm. it to 50 to a hundred to 200. Like it's all in scale. Yeah. I'm not different. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, 
Yeah. But I, you know, agreeing to disagree. We're going to, is, uh, is where we, where we're going to sit. Danny, where do you fall on this line? Civil discussion, gentlemen. I love it. I want to separate the idea of <laughs> even with booze. I want to, well, it's, that's how we love. I want to get into the idea of what it means to be a wholesaler. So the wine and spirits wholesalers of America could incorporate distribution as well as retail. And I think that might be an umbrella term. So if we had the opportunity to separate those two, does it need to go to somebody that only warehouses it and transports it? which I think is the truth in some areas, specifically in states like Colorado and Ohio that you were talking about, where you can't buy it in the regular supermarket. You have to go to a special place. You mentioned Pennsylvania. If you go to Pennsylvania, you have to go to a beer distributor. You can't go down to the local uh, Wise or you know the Publix or any of the other supermarkets, which I think is, I want to use the word asinine because it creates a specific distribution channel where it operates under unique players. And in the case of where there's no competition, you're going to get price inflation because they don't have to answer to anybody. Now you could make the argument that they're regulated, but really it's, they don't need to exist because you have plenty of players that want to be able to run that way. In California, for example, you walk into a Costco, you can get furniture right next to the alcohol. You don't have to go to the separate part of the store. So I don't want to I don't want to bundle everything together because I think Mr. J makes a very good argument here of if you're a small label, you're just starting out, you want to make a name for yourself. You're not going to be able to get brand awareness until people know who you are. And so you're going to need distribution partners who are willing to take a little bit of a cut to put your name on the shelf such that when you're walking the aisles and you go, Oh, what's that? I've never seen that before. That provides value. Well, what I want to make a very, very strong point is based on the argument that you guys are presenting is when you get big enough that somebody wants to go to your website and buy direct, don't put a barrier there and hide behind the 21st amendment, because that's where I agree with Leon. It's bullshit. If somebody Mm -hmm. wants to sell direct, get out of the way. If somebody wants to go to BevMo, go to BevMo. But the whole well, the idea you're of describing consumer it, awareness and consumer protection by saying you can't do this, that to me is not consumer protection. You're, I mean, the way you're describing it, both of you, or you're saying that the services they're providing, just, it sounds like the, the, what they're providing, the, value, the higher value service is actually promotion, not distribution. The way I hear you both talking about it, even though you say they don't have the trucks, they don't have the storage, they don't have that stuff. Once you say that end game is they're going to put it on the shelf that they could not have put it on themselves because they didn't, they couldn't, the barrier to entry was too much. Then to me, that sounds like a promoter and that's a different service to me, you know, and it's if that's the same, it's fair. It's fair because it's I think the there the are two service, sides of the though. same coin. If you are distributing something, you are promoting it. If yeah. you are simply a person that moves it from point A to point B, there's no need for that anymore. Right. So a, a distributor, I think, is a, is a term, but really you are a promoter. You are a reseller. You're a dealer. So BevMo and Total Wine are dealers. They purchase and resell. And the benefit of working with a partner like that is if you could tell everybody how awesome your wine is by yourself, you wouldn't need them. The reason you get in there is because they'll buy case quantity in order to take a cut. Have we beaten this one? Well, as long as everyone, as everyone wants to admit that I'm right, then we're done. I'll go with that. That's fine. <laughs> Not in a chance. Let's just keep it rolling. I know it. I know it. That wraps up Brown Banner, gentlemen. We'll be right back.
Welcome back. Let's get into headlines. News team, assemble! Let's get down, let's get down to business. And I got news for you. Our first headline today comes from Bloomberg.com. Americans are willing to take pay cuts to never go into the office again. A new survey shows that 65% of workers who said their jobs could be done entirely remotely were willing to take a 5% reduction just to stay home. The article begins, what would you sacrifice to be able to work from home forever? A new survey shows that many Americans say they'd be willing to take reduced salaries, give up days off, or put in more hours for a job that offers a fully remote option. After more than a year of full or partial remote work in many white-collar industries, employers are trying to get workers back to the office, even as the Delta coronavirus variant takes hold across the U.S. To entice workers back, some companies are holding back-to-work parties, dishing out prizes, providing free lunch or child care, and even offering yoga classes. Some workers aren't too fond of the prospect, whether they are concerned about their health, have domestic responsibilities that keep them home, or simply don't want to return to an unwelcome commute. An online survey commissioned by Breeze, an insurance company, found that 65% of American workers who said their jobs could be done entirely remotely were willing to take a pay cut of 5%, which could represent several years of annual raises to stay home. The graph in front of us now for you listening at home, pay cuts for remote work. Most people surveyed said they would accept a 5% salary reduction to be able to stay in a job that lets them work for home. All respondents, 65%. Baby boomers, only 61% said yes. Generation X, 68%. Millennials, 65%. And Gen Z, 58 Online survey concluded July 21st, 1,000 people whose job can be done remotely. Boys. What do we think? I'm odd that Gen X is so high. Yeah. Well, I think that it's, I mean, we, I think we talked about this, Danny, six months ago, it feels like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we knew this conversation was coming down the pipe. We've talked about uh, commercial real estate as far as office space becoming a shrinking industry. Uh, and you know, that when the, once the technology met the level that people could work from home and we were forced into a situation where we had to, we knew this was coming. Who doesn't want to work from home? Honestly. Although the nice thing about <laughs> going into an office is, uh, it, it's that old, there's something to putting on your work clothes. There's something to going in and you just kind of change your whole mindset and persona into work mode. You know, if in, in a lot of roles, it's not necessary. I think it's a, uh, a outdated, uh, you know, thing that people have to go into an office, go into the quarry. If, if you are the one that physically has to be there to type on the computer that you could type on at home. So I know I've been talking around in circles. How do I feel personally about it? I mean, obviously I run a company, right? I get to make the decision. If you work from home or you work in the office, I personally go into the office. And uh, the reason I do that is because all my tools are there. And I like shouting to the person that I'm working with in the next room. I find it efficient. <laughs> um, and yeah, yeah, I get, I get, I get everything about it. I would of course take a pay cut if it meant that I didn't have to drive at 450 a gallon, sit in traffic, 
you know, be away from my family, spend the money on lunch. I, it, that's an easy cut. Right. Um, but I want to caution people who assume that they're just as efficient working from home because it's not always the case. A lot of times it is not all roles are the same. Sometimes that collaboration is very necessary and it leads to a lot of powerful things. It's not always, I understand that it's a slow move for the country to move that direction. And I hope that we see a large shift of people that get to spend more time with their families and work from home. And if they have that opportunity, uh, but as far as taking a pay cut to do that and the job doesn't suffer in any way or, or efficiency doesn't, uh, hell, I mean, if you're a big enough organization and you're, you're dropping salaries by 5%, you know, what is that? You take 20 people the drop it, you get one extra head, <laughs> right. And you can, you can get even more efficient. You can get more stuff done. So I, I hope that the big organizations take a good look at this and say, Hey, we can get more heads for the same amount of money, if not save money, because we don't need as much brick and mortar and everything else that goes along with it. Uh, interesting concept. I'm sorry. Or, I just, I know I'm just rambling. Capital or stock buybacks. But, I mean, that's the, the, avail, the available liquidity that comes from, 5% reduction in labor costs is huge. Also real estate. If you're able to start negotiating in a real estate space down, I mean, that's huge too. It's a huge cost saving. I mean, it's, it's basically, you got to think about your rent is debt. Yeah. You don't own the building or maybe you do, but it's debt. It's, it's this much that you got to cut to house your employees and all your staffing. So Yep. Uh, there's a huge, huge incentive right now to everyone to rethink your office space, what you need, what you don't need, what you, what you can ditch. I guess the only thing I'll say is that, you know, in looking at this, it's um, an office space needs to be available for workers that want to go into the office. And I'll give one example. If you got children that are under the age of 12, you want to go into an office because you probably can't get your work done at home. <laughs> mm -hmm. um i'm lucky i have a newborn ish Preach. under one and mm -hmm. it's easy because he sleeps a lot <laughs> but when he stops sleeping so much and i gotta deal with something there could be a different tone i would be singing um i think going to the office has its collaboration especially if you're dealing with some kind of development r d and so forth but everybody's situation is different. It's interesting to see kind of the demographic on um, generations and, and who would do what. Um, I figured the Gen X were more people that have more kids and would want to go into the office more. Um, but maybe they didn't have to. Millennials, I don't know. I, I got to tell you, like my, my world is watching people all over the U.S. or world kind of still working while they're working remote. It's kind of a been a great free card for them to to kind of expand and, and do something that they haven't been able to do before but um i think we're in a wake-up call my gut tells me it's going to be a combination where companies will figure out ways to do satellite locations for most of their employees and they will have set periods of time when people come in days a week um for meetings and so forth and then they go back home uh they'll still be need to be an office setting 
but I don't think it has to be five days a week for 40 hours a week or longer. Here's, here's, here's one for you, Mr. J and, and Danny. Um, I think the world had a level of allowance for the pandemic, right? If you're calling your credit card company or whatever, if you're calling a service provider and you hear the dog barking or the crying baby or the dump truck outside or whatever, everyone knows what that means. We're all trying to get through this pandemic. We're doing the best we can. We all have that mindset. But once you don't have that anymore, do you think everyone's going to be so understanding, especially when you get to the high service industries where you have the screaming kid in the background? It doesn't sound professional anymore. And you don't get the pass anymore because COVID was three years ago. Like that's, you know what I'm saying? Like at, w- at what point does that become unacceptable and not just a reality? Or will that always become the reality? And we should just accept that background noise and interference no matter who we're calling i'll be honest i think it's it's acceptable i mean but to your point i don't have i don't have a crystal ball i couldn't tell you what it's going to look like five years from now i think it's a great question because it's a great question the opportunity to have some competitive advantage of we're a professional service firm we will dedicate hours to you and that can be a selling feature so a couple years in after everybody's kind of gotten over the idea of mental health and work-life balance. And you, you have a new breed of people coming in going, well, I don't want to do that anymore. I think the pendulum will swing back and people will say, we don't need to be at home. I want to provide more services for my customers. And so I think it'll, it'll open up options for firms that want to provide that as a, as a value add, because in the realm of customer service, there are certain customer demographics where there is no amount that's enough Right. So you can eventually provide that as a service. The article Once goes on to provide some interesting ideas here. In. Most people said they wouldn't give up more than five, but 15% of respondents said they'd be willing to shave off 25. Nearly half, 46%, said they would give up a quarter of their days off, and 15% said they would give up all paid time off to be able to work from home. And Mr. Jones rightly pointed this out. It's Generation X. What is it about people born before 1980 between 1964 and 1980 that makes them not want to go into the office ever again. I don't know. That's here, a good well, question. Here, here's another movement. If you're on the Twitter sphere or the Insta, Insta Facebooks, uh, there's a, a big movement that I've been seeing pop up, which is turn off your camera. Don't let your boss make you turn on your camera. That's your private area. <laughs> and I, I think if more of those types of movements gain steam, you're going to see more employers say, get your ass in the office. Because I, if, if, if not only are you not even willing to turn on your camera to, to validate that you're doing what we're paying you to do, um, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how that's going to go. Have you seen this movement? I'm not making this up. You've seen it, right? It I've doesn't bother me. Um, I've been a manager and I've, I've understood exactly what this is, is you're worried that your employees are doing something else. It comes back to, are you accurately measuring their work and can you measure their work? Because if the value of their work is your ability to see them, then it doesn't matter what their performance is. It's surveillance capitalism. So if somebody's 
doing their job efficiently from the golf course. Do you care? Is revenue up? Are you hitting your profit targets? Uh, I don't necessarily need to see them if I know how to measure their performance. If I don't know how to measure their performance, then yeah, you might as well punch a clock. So I, yeah. I would give you a little pushback on that. It's if you, if you have to keep an eye on your employees, it's because you're not accurately measuring their performance enough. And if you notice yeah. that somebody's not paying attention in a meeting, then that'll slack off in their work. Or maybe you didn't have to have the meeting. So I don't know. I, I would give you a little pushback on that, Leah. Well, and as you should, I, I'm just saying the movement exists. And if you, I don't know, if you, if you own a business, if you're running a business, you feel like you need a certain level of focus to do your job. Again, if you don't have the KPIs to measure what you're actually trying to measure, which I've been in the KPI business for a very long time, trying to figure out how to do that. And it's hard. It really is hard. And I think surveillance and watching over you and being a big brother also gets crossed with get your fucking shit done. You know, let's 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 not pretend that we are all just so amped to do our job and only our job and get everything done and focus like we're supposed to because we're not. We're just, we're not, we're creatures of habit. If you stop watching, if you stop, I know I'm, I'm coming off like a prick here, but if you stop pretending that you're not engaged for a minute in a lot of these businesses, it's going to, it's going to backfire the really, really crucial ones. So if, if, you know, the whole I'm not talking about not wearing pants to work. Who gives a shit if you're wearing pants <laughs> under your desk? That's that's a non-issue. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is sitting your ass in the desk. Uh, here, here's a side. Here's an example. Okay, and and there's an actual KPI for this, so it's it's a bad example because we we could measure it, but in a call center atmosphere right? You're supposed to be in the phones five minutes before you get the pass down from the person you're about to take that job from. What are you working on? What's, what's still in the hopper? What do I have to watch out for? Who's going to call me? What are we looking at? What's the big issues of the day, whatever the call center is for. And then you, they hand that over and then the, and then they pick it up and go, well, we had somebody that was chronically late, like 15 minutes late all the time working from home. And you're like, well, how is this possible? And eventually we had to say, got to turn on the camp. Like, where are you? Like, because they would get to the point where they would just turn on the, the indicators to say, I'm here, right? I'm here. My phone thing is on. My, my system is up. I've logged in and then not there, you know, then they go back and, you know, brush their teeth at breakfast, whatever the hell they're doing, but they're not focused in the job. Do they pick up the calls later in the day? Does it get hidden in the metrics? The metrics are too big. The KPIs are too big to absorb that, but it's fucked up, right? Like you didn't, you didn't work the first 20 minutes of your shift and you didn't take the pass down like you were supposed to. And, and, and maybe the big dip isn't there, but Maybe five, 10 people of your customers that were calling in didn't get the service they should have gotten. And I don't know what the total cost of that is. So I don't know. I'm rambling a little bit on that one too. But at the end of the day, I think that as an employer, for you to ask your employees to show the fuck up to work, do their job, 
when you ask them to do it is not that much to ask, especially if they get to work from home and for people to stomp their feet and say, turn off your camera. You don't, you don't owe that to them. I guess for me, it's like, I don't owe you a job then like just do, do the job, do the job I'm paying you to do. Stop. I don't know. Sorry. I want to chime in because I also ran a call center. So the the business of a call center is to be available from these hours such that if a phone call comes in and you're available, you need to take it. Modern call center software knows that if you're online and the call comes in and it rings three times and it bounces, then you were not available. Such that you have a right. You have a metric to say you were available and you didn't take the call. Well, 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 I, I don't care. That's the metric. I've told you how the metric works. So if you have an extenuating circumstance, let's talk about that. If there are multiple extenuating circumstances that come up as a chronic problem, then you pull them aside and put them under a performance improvement program and say, listen, this is the job. If you don't want it, we understand we'll help find another job for you, or you can take off and go work for somebody else. But as we understand it, this is the job. And I think that's easier than a knowledge worker who's needs to come up with creative ideas. So if you have somebody that's in the back, that's working in R and D, or if they're in a strategy role, or if they're in a corporate planning role, their job is to come up with new ideas. I think that's a scenario where it's very difficult to measure quantity. If you're a salesman, you make 40 calls a day. Once you get to call 40, go get drunk. Right. We don't right. care. Absolutely. Whatever. That's your metric. It doesn't apply to all roles. I totally understand. Yeah. So what you want to do is as a manager of your business, you want to know exactly what that person is supposed to do because their contribution is supposed to yield X. And I think the plain fact of the matter is most managers don't know how to measure their business. And that's okay because they're not alone. You're a statistic. Again, in some cases, when you're trying to capture those KPIs, you end up spending more effort trying to capture the KPI that should have been spent more towards the actual job, right? Don't, don't, uh, what, what's the phrase, you know, don't document, don't over document, right? Don't spend so much of your time trying to document the thing that took five seconds to just say, and just to document it. I don't know. I think, I think a lot of, a lot of things when you're trying to capture the KPIs, if it's natural, if you're not impeding on the work, if it doesn't require that many more man hours to capture it then all, all day long. But if you start getting past that curve to say that you're spending more time trying to actually capture the correct KPI for efficiency, you're just as bad as saying, turn your fucking camera on. You know what I'm saying? Because now you have all these tools in place and all these procedures in place that you have to hit after call or on call or don't catch your Rona and all that, or just show up to the office. You know, um, I, I don't want to be unsympathetic to what you're saying, Leon, because I think you're hitting a natural point here. I think it's a salient point in terms of worker productivity measurement. Uh, I think we had, if you're not in Montana, Take advantage of at will employment laws. If that person's not cutting the bill, you can do a 360 review of their coworkers. If their coworkers say, yeah, that person's a loser, then let them go. Now we're in a tight labor market right now. So that's not an easy thing right. to do. But again, this whole idea of watch your employees like a hawk, no, get rid of them. Get rid of them while you can. Pretty soon it's going to be France where you've got to give cause. 
Well, you were in France then because you have to give cause. You have to get cause for threat of a lawsuit. And you, my friend, are in a litigious state. But if you look around the rest of the country, people get fired all the time for nothing. In fact, Amazon has a bot that fires you from the warehouse and there's nothing you can do about it. No shit. I haven't heard that. Where's that article? Fodder for a future discussion. Anyway, gentlemen, I think that wraps up headlines. Let's get to the crank file. I could look for something in the crank file. Crank file. Whatever. <laughs> Today's crank file comes to us courtesy of CNN. And I want to pause because Leon is kind of two for two. And this made me angry tonight. So you, sir, are not in an area that you have to worry about these. So you can relax on this one, Leon. Thank you. Acid shooting whip scorpions are roaming a national park in Texas. Leon knows where there's these scorpions. Acid there are scorpions here. Scorpions. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not a remake of Alien. This is real life, people. Acid scorpions. This article comes to us from CNN, dated July 24th. Vinegaroon, Big Bend, Texas. The article begins, some freaky looking creatures are looking for mates this summer. And no, we're not talking about the contestants on Sexy Beasts. Big Bend National Park in Southwest Texas is alerting visitors that some Marines are bringing arachnids called vinegaroons out of their burrows in search of food and love. These three-inch creatures, also known as whip scorpions, can pinch with their heavy mouth parts, according to a Facebook post from the National Park. They also have long whip-like tails, which can shoot a spray of 85% acetic acid, a main component of vinegar. The critters sound frightening have inspired sensational headlines about acid shooting land lobsters, but the vinegaroons, which are nocturnal, can't see very well and are relatively benign unless you annoy them. They are primarily found in West Texas, especially the Trans-Pecos region, according to Texas A&M's AgriLife Extension Service. They're more commonly found in the desert, but have also been reported in grassland, scrub, pine forests, and mountains. So the article starts hot waters it down. I believe acid whipping scorpions are on the evolutionary track and we will have to worry about them in our lifetime. Thoughts, Mr. Jones, you know me, I'll just, I'll just ramble forever. <laughs> Mr. Jones, if you want to, if you want to take this one, I, <laughs> I, I don't know really what to say other than I'm glad I don't live in West Texas right now. That's for sure. Um, I, I, you know, I know where uh, Danny's living. He has to deal with these other arachnids and, creatures coming out of his sink uh in other areas um more prevalent but uh i just happy i don't have to wake up i will say this is it has any have you guys ever woken up to like a giant wolf spider or something like that crawling through your house or anything yet which like, is cool like, in florida every day every day every day yeah. there's something in my house yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> i've only had it twice and that's enough it has more than four legs here. i don't know what it is and it goes down the toilet <laughs> yeah uh glad i don't live with that every day so Leon. i don't know about you guys but when i'm ready for bed i really enjoy nature television and i <laughs> i i watch blue planet i, I watch planet. planet earth i love all these things and i learned so much about david attenborough how, series oh yeah david attenborough i mean the man, the, if he doesn't have already three Nobel prizes, he deserves it. But he's he's brilliant, and he him. has a wonderful, wonderful tone to his voice. These types it is of the excretion of methane that reinforces the sloth to reconsider the <laughs> aluminium intake that he therefore runs aluminium. from the forest. 
<laughs> yeah, that's the best way to say aluminum ever. When I think it, when I first saw this article, Danny, I was thinking this creature on land is very similar in amazing, incredible magic as like the angler fish that's like a thousand feet down in the ocean that has like a dangling lure because it's so dark down there and they've evolved to the point where they can lure fish into their mouth, right? This thing is roaming around Texas and throwing acid at shit. Like awesome, right? Well done. Can we just get like a truckload of these and just drop them off? We don't need a wall anymore. Just, just put up all these, (laughs) these acid shooting scorpions and just say hey world you can come across at your own risk good luck or use the gate you know that that's that that should have been our strategy in the u.s as far as uh immigration reform that's just me it is the vinegaroon it is uh it looks very much like a scorpion and of course the article goes on to bury the lead and say that it's harmless But the reason that I think it's worthy of the crank file is because evolution will eventually make this thing more powerful and that acid will become stronger such that nature will eventually take back what we have taken from it. And I want all of you to be aware the vinegaroon is how it started. We're like, and you're waiting for the image of where it's at, where it's at is death. We are days from, from sucking out the acid out of the ass of this thing and shoving it in somebody's lip. Like, for beauty that's going to happen next <laughs> what if you could take <laughs> one of them and like sprinkle it on like bread or salad or something yummy yeah acid shooting whip scorpions love it big ben it's a th- national park southwest texas that wraps up the crank file this one's for you leon let's get into because florida Today's Because Florida comes to us from the New York Post. This one's dated July 18th. Florida man steals candles, sprays everyone with bear mace. Yes. Let that sink in. Are bears in Florida? Well, I think of bear mace as like shark repellent from the 1967 Batman movie. Mm -hmm. Article begins, cops are hunting for a Florida man who stole candles from a Miami bath and bath. I'm sorry. Let me start over. Cops are hunting for a Florida man who stole candles from a Miami Bath and Body Works and made off with the stolen loot by spraying everyone in his way with bear mace. This is one of those only in Miami stories. Doral police spokesperson Ray Valdez told CNN. That is the basis for this segment. (laughs) All right. The suspect robbed the Miami International Mall store on Saturday and injured at least 30 people, including one who took a direct hit of the bear repellent to the face and needed to be hospitalized. About 15 of the people sprayed were employees of the store. (laughs) He hit all of them. Given the serious nature of the attack and the injuries suffered, the crime could be considered aggravated battery and the suspect is potentially looking at 30 to 35 felonies. He was last seen leaving the mall in a taxi. Oh, this is wonderful. So much to unpack here. (laughs) Okay, let's unpack it. So, man, Bath and Body Works, 
in the Miami International Mall. Walks candles. in, steals candles, <laughs> bear mace, <laughs> 15 employees, and 15 others makes getaway in a taxi. Those must be some damn good titles. The two don't match up to me. They don't Welcome match up to, to the me. Sunshine State. Do you think that people with bear mace or tasers or guns are the same people that shop in Bath and Body Works? I don't. I don't see them as the same clientele. And 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 that is me being a very narrow-minded person. But they don't seem like the same kind of person. Bear macers and Bath and Body Works. You know what I'm going to do? Let's go through the head of this person that day, if you don't mind. Can we go through this exercise? We got time, Leon. Go for it. Dan, Danny, you're you you were a theater guy, and I'm a theater guy. So let's let's play this out. Yeah, I was thinking let's uh, let's do a grilling session. Let's let's do some role play. Who is this person? Who is who is our who is our profile? What is your motivation? Is what I want to know from this person. So. Hey, you know what? Uh, hey, Danny, you know what I'm thinking? I could use some soothing candles for later tonight. I just, I got to chill out. I just, I've had a tough, tough week. And I think I need some soothing, cit- not citronella, but, uh, you know, uh, something, something that's really going. Oh, apple pie. Mm-hmm. Well done. Mm-hmm. Well done. Apple I need pie. some apple pie. <laughs> Apple pie candles. So I, you know what that sucks though, Danny? I don't have any money. How am I going to get this apple pie candle? You have any, you have any suggestions for me? I live in Florida though. None. Here's what I'm thinking. Bear mace, bear mace and, and squirt people with bear mace so that I can get this apple pie candle and then take a taxi home. It's, it's, hard to, it's hard to even act it out because it doesn't make any sense I, at all. <laughs> all right. So uh, I looked up some mace uh, bear spray on Amazon. It's $33. It's uh, EPA approved, empties in six seconds, power fogger. Net weight is 260 grams, which is 0.05 pounds. Uh, it's uh, power fogger, empties in six seconds, and its range is 35 feet. And all I can think of is he did it for a girl. She said, I want candles or I'm not going to sleep with you. Anyway, you, think you so? want candles? I'll get you candles. <laughs> and I think that's how it went down. I, you know, you said he left in a, left in a taxi, which I thought was awesome. Better than what my mind was thinking. Because I thought for sure this person jumped on an airboat and blasted out of there. <laughs> Well, you guys are watching, you guys are looking at this right now. The New York Post.com 2021 07 18 Florida man steals candles, sprays everyone with bear mace. There's a picture here of Brittany where her mascara is running. Like, that's the girl he bought the candles for. Why don't you uh, get a look at this photo yeah, right here? That. She said, I want candles. So either he was farting too much or this was a, I have to do this in order to get laid, or there was something going on. I don't think these are for him. I certainly Ooh. don't think a bear mace wielding man needs candles specifically from Bath and Body Works because you can't get regular candles there. This is for smell. Fair point. What Fair needs point. to smell good? <laughs> but Side I can't bar. think of anything Side more bar. absurd. Hand soap from Bath and Body Works? 
There's just nothing more absurd than Bath and Body Works. There's just nothing. Like Victoria's Secret would have made sense for me. Bath and Body Works, no. Well, that is such of the wildlife that you see in the Sunshine State. And that one. Thank you, Florida. Thank you. That one wraps up the crank file. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's get into parenting. We can make kids right now. That's why we're here. It's not the years. It's the mileage. For our parenting segment today, I grabbed uh, something from the Trendy Matter, which is one of those strange articles called Common Household Items That Have Mind-Blowing Functions. So this is TrendyMatter.com, and this is about 68 different things that kind of blow your mind. So as I roll through these things, I'm going to pick things that I think are relevant. If you guys say anything, you just tell me to stop, and we'll go through them together. Uh, everybody knows the, the potato or the carrot handles the broken light bulb thing. Do you guys know that the uh, Chinese takeout box can be flattened into a plate? I did not know that. Did not know that. So you guys are the only people that I've met that don't know that. So take the box really? apart and flatten it out. It's a plate. It's designed to be a plate. I have never heard that in my life. Do you guys Amazing. know the little tabs on the side of the foil box are designed mm-hmm. to be pushed in so that the foil roll doesn't leave the box when you pull on it? I did know that. Okay. I did, but I rarely ever actually do it. All right. You guys ever try and water something using a faucet? It's a dustpan. Ooh. I would like that one. Clever. Good right? one. All right, here's one that I am so angry I didn't know in college. Solo cup, red solo cup. I drink you up. It's got ridges in it. Do you know what the ridges are for? Measurement. Measurement. They are not for holding the cup. They are specific measurements, as in an eighth of an ounce, a quarter of an ounce, a half of an ounce, a pint. Mm -hmm. Every single one of the rings on a red solo cup is a specific measurement. I am shocked. No one is for pouring drinks. Yeah. Thank you. Thank this is a very educational show. Uh put a spoon, a wooden spoon on top of the pot to keep it from boiling over. That's good for spaghetti. You can use a straw to remove strawberry tops. Uh this was an interesting one that I did myself. Prevent peanut butter from separating by leaving it upside down. Always. You knew this one? Oh yeah. But the I always always upside down. Well, I, went, I immediately but, went in the pantry and turned all the peanut butters upside down. But it, this only works before you've mixed it in this case where you have um, a non-creamy, you know, this is like real smooth peanut butter. If it's brand new. Yeah, if it's new. Once it's mixed, don't turn it upside down. You look like an idiot. Uh, your spaghetti spoon is designed to measure proportions. That's what the circle inside is for. Did you know that, Leon? I did not know that. No idea. It does that. One personal serving of spaghetti you put the dry noodles up through the hole in the spaghetti spoon and that's all you need for one person serving a spaghetti this is Uh, wonderful this is one that my brother-in-law's head exploded did you guys know that the arrow next to the Mm -hmm. gas gauge is the side of the car that the tank is on i did know this and the reason i know that and anybody who travels a lot knows this because when you rental cars Mm-hmm. You have to, you never know what side it is on your rental car. And you always look at that. Next time you look at the gas gauge and the little gas pump icon, there's going to be a left or a right arrow. And that's the side of the car that the gas gauge is on. For those of you listening at home. 
Uh, don't use the wrong plumber. This is an interesting one. You guys know the pom-poms on top of hats? They're mm-hmm. usually stylish for going up in the mountain when we're snowboarding. Yeah. That's actually for sailors when they walked through those low-hanging doorways, that little poof on top of the pom-pom protected their head from hitting the top of the roof or the doorway. <laughs> it's a safety feature. Hilarious. Uh, wooden hangers were made of cedar from moths. Mm-hmm. You can use a white crayon to fill holes in your drywall. Makes That's sense. kind of interesting. Makes sense. That's, That's what I thought. It makes sense. Uh, let's see here. Wait, you wait, can use cooking one. spray What's on squeaky one? hinges. Let's go back one. What the? Most padlocks have a hole in them to release moisture. I didn't know that. <laughs> Hmm. Uh, blue part of an eraser, bobby pins, post-it notes. This is interesting. If you actually flip a pill bottle cap upside down, it's a serving tray. No idea that. Never heard of that. This is one that I really love. Fast food meal container hack. Pay attention, parents, because if you have kids that want to order chicken nuggets from McDonald's or Chick-fil-A, they always come in a box that's a bifold that opens up. Poke the straw of the drink through the middle of the bifold, and you now have a container for which, or a platform for which the food will rest on. This one blew my mind. My head exploded. Yes. While it's unclear if the design of these fast food meal containers were intended this way, it absolutely makes your life easier. So take your chicken nuggets container, open it up, poke the straw through the fold, put the fries in the other side and let the container rest on the lid of the drink. And you now have a completely self-contained automobile solution for lunch. I like that one. These types of people need to continue to bring this knowledge to the rest of the world. This is what we need. This This is is how we make the world a better place. This is how you make the world a better place. We're going to post this link in the show notes for those of you listening, because some of this stuff is out of this world. Awesome. Uh, Matching a piece of fabric when you get new clothes. Everybody knows that the extra button is in case you lose one. But if there's a little piece of fabric that comes with your shirt, that's designed to test cleaners and other materials so that you don't discolor the shirt. No shit. You test them on that little piece of fabric that comes with the shirt. Uh, the Heinz 57 trick. This is one that I learned from my aunt. How do you get ketchup out of the bottle? Modern day ketchup bottles come made of plastic and all you got to do is squeeze. But for those of you older people, the glass bottle was always a problem. You want to know what you do? You look for the nice Heinz 57 imprinted logo on the glass bottle. That's what you hit it against to get the ketchup to come out. Mm -hmm. Open bananas from the bottom. How many of you guys know that one? I did hear this one. That way you hold the bottom, that's your handle. If you think of your traditional banana, the place where it attaches to the tree is not the side that you open it on. It's the bottom side. And the way that anthropologists learn that is by watching chimpanzees. The chimps simply go to the end, pinch and pull, and it's the easiest way to open a banana. If you actually go and try and break it from the stem, you damage the banana, you ruin what's inside, and you have a horrible time trying to open it. Bind blown. Didn't know this. And I eat bananas every day. I wish I ate like bananas. I need to get like. Well, they're in shakes though. I don't like eat them raw. Like I, I have shakes every day. Number mm. 27 is something interesting that I taught my nine-year-old. The headrests of your car have a secret function. The most obvious feature of the headrest is to provide comfort to passengers and drivers while driving and keep all passengers safe. However, the other hidden feature of the headrest in your car is that if you pull them out, 
you can break the glass. So scenario one, you're an idiot and you lock your kids in the car. They can break the glass. Scenario hmm. two, somehow you end up underwater. If you can't roll the window down because you have power windows, you can always use your headrest to break the glass, let water in the car. Once the car fills up, you can swim out to safety. You just saved a life today. Mm-hmm. You saved a life. Yeah. Magic 23. Uh, cans have holes in the pull tabs. That was designed for straws. If you think back in the 1970s, it was a standard foil pull tab and all you had was a hole in the can. Mm. The actual tab that pops starting in the 1980s was designed to hold a straw. (laughs) We all just get lazy and just put our mouth up to it. Flip Mm -hmm. yogurt. Enough said. Mm -hmm. This one's interesting. If you don't have any Loctite, use (sighs) nail polish. Screws Mm. will stay in. Fascinating. Use a painter's tape for paint as well as caulk. Wait, how, how do you use it for caulking? So you line up the paint along the edges of the molding or the baseboard or whatever it is that you want to apply caulk to, whether it be a bathtub or a shower, and then you apply the caulk. And then after you rip the painter's tape, it takes the excess caulk with it so that you have a nice clean bead along the joint. Is there a gonna try texture this. to the caulk or a color specific color or flavor to the cock no but if you've ever beaded by yourself you know that it can sometimes come out lumpy and ugly and it spreads everywhere so unless you have a perfect day with the caulking gun tape can provide the opportunity to make it look nice nice and so since we're all married we know why this is important Wait, wait, what's those gel things for? Is that, is that the whole, like, keeps everything dry? Uh, silica gel found in shoeboxes. Many people mistakenly believe those little bags are found in shoeboxes or Check air that's... fresheners. They're not. They're silica gel packages which absorb moisture. The packets have different uses, including drying out a wet smartphone. Uh, mm. Put them in your drawers to keep your clothes fresh and away from musty. If you're in a high humidity area, hold on to these things for dear life. Uh, let's get to, because we're running out of time, let's get to the coup de grace, which is number 35. Use your dishwasher to sanitize items like toys. Your dishwasher isn't just for dirty cups and bowls. You can actually wash and sanitize a variety of other options using this handy home appliance. Toss in children's toys, pet food bowls for deep clean plastic office supplies, bathroom containers, even small trash cans can all be cleaned in your dishwasher using the sanitize function. Not only is this more efficient than you can do by hand, it saves you a ton of water. You can also use the rinse only cycle to wash vegetables, the steam setting to cook salmon, and much more. The dishwasher is the most versatile appliance in the house. If you think Not of just for washing the top rack washing, that's just water. If you think of the quick rinse cycle, that's just water. If you think of the sanitize function, that's 199 degree cookup in order to get rid of all bacteria and all germs. If you use the steam function on some high-end washers, that basically turns your dishwasher into an oven. Now, it may be gross to think of things this way, but everything gets sanitized with enough heat so the dishwasher itself is quite a miraculous invention. This to me was the ultimate of this segment. I just want to know when you're going to cook a salmon in your dishwasher. I don't know where I would. come from. Loading the dishwasher means getting your wife drunk. <laughs> <laughs> well, an old Florida joke is what do you do when the dishwasher breaks? Slapper. <laughs> Did you ever uh, have one of those 
Yeah, yeah. Hashtag, hashtag did not age well. Um, the do you ever have one of those hat washers that you put in the dishwasher? Is like yeah. holds the frame of your hat. Yeah, it works. Good. Plastic thing. I got one of those. Yeah. 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 I think it works. It does work. It works well. Yeah. And I actually have had dishwasher fish before. I have. Don't lie. You know what it tastes alike? Don't fucking lie. Nothing. It tastes like nothing. <laughs> it was not marinated. I ate it because it was cooked in a dishwasher. And I said, I'll give it a try. It tasted like nothing. So I guess if you like, I mean, I, all I would say, if you're going to cook salmon or any fish in the dishwasher, put some flavor in it because otherwise it tastes like nothing. I would normally dismiss this, but I, I have experience selling dishwashers. It's a stainless steel tub. It's extremely hot water. It's filtered. There's a lot of modern conveniences in your average 2021 dishwasher that are extremely advanced. So I'm not going to dismiss this one, but uh, that's 35 of 68. And maybe we can review the rest in a future episode. But for now, I think that wraps up parenting. All right. I like it. Highly educational. Highly educational. Speaking of educational, that leads us to our final segment of the show. Leon loathes. So far, Danny, I haven't heard a single logical reason. No, no, don't accept this. It's frustrating. And we haven't cured cancer. We have not cured cancer. I don't know the answer. I'm just ranting about it. Well, thank you, Danny. Leon, the floor is yours. I think today I, I just like to talk to both of you. And this is this is a partic- a participation, Leon Lowe's. And I would really <laughs> like you guys to jump in and share your thoughts and at least answer the questions in which I'm asking them. When you're driving, let's say you're about a quarter mile from a freeway on ramp and you have to get in there and there's a line of cars. Are you the guy that hugs the car in front of you because fuck this guy. I don't want him to get in. Or are you the guy that says, you know what? Come on in. Come on in. You don't know the area. I understand. You're not, you're not trying to cut in line. Get, come on in. Which one are you, Mr. J? Who's in the car with me? <laughs> you. Only <laughs> you. Only you. What time of day is it? Uh, you're not in a hurry. It's a normal day. I will say what's interesting about that is I let them in because I, I'm I'm just not in that hurry anymore. I got nowhere to be. Like, why bother? Yes, come on you, in. You're a good person. You know, I, I coming from Ohio, the majority of the people were you. Living in California now, and this is where road rage is at its at its peak, peak is because the other side exists, which is fuck you. I enjoy watching you squirm and trying to find a way to get into this line because you didn't realize the line started a half a mile back. Who knows that? You, unless you know the road, unless that's the road you drive every day, how could you possibly know you're supposed to be in that lane and that every fucking Californian asshole would block you out of there so you can't get in there and 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 you have to you have to do things. You have to you have to wave, you have to signal, you have to flinch like you're going to get in that lane. You have to 
you have to you have to pull some maneuvers and then what and i've been both sides i've been both sides i've been the guy that's in the lane i'm like you know this fucking guy should have saw it this guy should have saw it coming i'm i'm gonna be i'm gonna close this gap i'm not gonna let him in even though the person behind me let me in i danny danny which one are you i'd like to know it tells me I, a lot uh, about you. I squealed with delight because I read a book about this and there is actually a book. It's, it's a paperback book in yellow where they've actually studied traffic. And it was a sociology book that studied. It was first, it started out as a, as a rant on the ridiculousness and the psychology of why people change lanes if nobody's moving. And they actually did a study on people that cut at the end. And what they found is that cutting at the end is more efficient. Mm-hmm. Even if you get completely blocked out by the asshole who feels social contract. I've been in line this whole time. Even still, if you're the guy that cuts at the end, you get through faster and it has been studied. Mm -hmm. There is science to back it up and I don't believe in it. I believe in cues. I believe in social contract. I believe in, I've been here the whole time. I earned this science dictates that the late cutter, the asshole actually does get there faster. Well, here's what I'll tell you. There's different levels of assholeness, right? And where that social construct contra, construct starts to come in is, hey, I'm at a quarter mile. Now I'm starting to see signs that I need to get over. That the only lane that gets me to where I need to be is this one that seems to have a lot of cars in it. Because not everybody drives that route every day. So you don't always know which lane you got to be in because it's not like it indicates it unless you're there, right? If you're driving it all the time, you don't realize is the freeway on the left is the freeway on the right is the, uh, you don't know where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there. And all the other assholes that line up in line and don't let you in, uh, I just think it's a really shitty concept. Now we all know that there's those people that I think the way you were describing it there, Danny are the people that are like, I know exactly what I'm supposed to do, but fuck these guys. I'm not waiting in this line. I'm going to go all the way down to the end and then cut in. We all hate those people. Yes. We all hate those people. And I agree. Block them. But (laughs) those people block them. Don't let them in and, and always do the thing when you're, when you're in that lane and they're looking at you and they're trying to get your attention. Like, Oh, will you let me in. Will you let me in. Don't even look. You just look straight ahead. Like, Oh, I'm just listening to music. I, I don't realize there's a car that's trying to get in right, 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 right in front of me. I'm not, I'm not paying attention to that. Everyone does that. Don't, don't even, you don't even look over at them. But if you are like a quarter mile back or even farther, like let them in. Because they clearly don't. They're they're trying to get in queue. They didn't realize the queue started way back there. There's no signage to say that it's it was way back there. And just just be a better person. You'll feel better about yourself. Honestly, you'll be you'll feel better about yourself and humanity if you just help people out when you need to. And you know what? You're going to be that person one day. You're going to be the person that needs to get in. And you're going to be, you're going to want someone just like you that's going to let you in. That's all I have to say today on my list. 
I love it, Leon. I'm reminded of the book Traffic, Why We Drive the Way We Do by Tom Vanderbilt. It's a paperback, costs about uh, 10 bucks hardcover on Amazon. And I'm going to give you the blurb just because it was the book was 12, 13 years old. I mean, it's, I, I read it a long time ago, but it was fascinating to me. Would you be surprised that road rage can be good for society? that most crashes happen on sunny, dry days, or that you can gauge a nation's driving behavior by its levels of corruption. These are only a few of the remarkable dynamics that Tom Vanderbilt explores in this fascinating tour through the mysteries of the road. Based on exhaustive research and interviews with driving experts and traffic officials around the globe, traffic gets under the hood of the everyday activity of driving to undercover the surprisingly complex web of physical, psychological, and technological factors that explain how traffic works why we drive the way we do, and what our driving says about us. Vanderbilt examines the perceptual limits and cognitive underpinnings that make us worse drivers than we think we are. As Vanderbilt shows, driving is a provocatively revealing prism for examining how our minds work and the ways in which we interact with one another. Ultimately, traffic is about more than driving. It's about human nature. And there's, of course, an audio book and paperback and hardback covers. But I remember reading this about 10, 12 years ago. And I remember having the exact same conundrum you ran into, Leon. What the fuck is wrong with these people? <laughs> and the bare fact of the matter is what they're doing is more efficient. And if you believe in a social contract, then that speaks more to you than to the asshole that's trying to cut in late. Anyway, we'll, well put a I'm, link to that book in the show notes. And uh, what else you got, Leon? That's it. That's it. That's enough. I feel like I've ranted quite a bit tonight. And I apologize to all our listeners, to you, Danny, and to you, to Mr. J, for my horrible attitude, even though I had such a great day on the course today. In all things, there must be balance, my friend. That wraps up Leon Loathes. We'll be right back. <laughs> oh, after the day that you've had why are you so awesome. mad i'm not i'm mad. i feel good <laughs> i told you it was a heavy pour it was a heavy what, heavy pour tonight what street are you on are you on the 405 constantly because that's pretty much typical on that road no i when i go down every day i go down Oso to get onto the freeway mm-hmm. and oh, so sucks yeah. yeah and the and the queue starts almost two miles ahead of time (sighs) and so now i've started to get into that but sometimes you're like i'm i'm listening to stuff whatever i'm getting around the way and you're like nobody will fucking let me in i'm I'm like go up to the pause i'm a mile from the on-ramp and nobody will let me in it's crazy and it's it's not something i'm used to because i drove the last 15 years in ohio where you're like hey you know, I'm not being a dick here. I'm I'm not trying to get in right before that I get on the freeway. I'm I'm ba- I'm wait I'm willing to wait in line. <laughs> Just let me in, you know. And no, still won't let me in. So it pisses you don't me try off. Don't Alicia. I guess Alicia doesn't work either. Or- no, I wouldn't. Well, for me, Alicia. I would go to La Paz. For me, it's it and it's Antonio because I'm on Antonio because you're going Antonio, north, right? But I do go north. Yeah, yeah. If you're going now, north, I I go to La Paz. I mean, honestly, the best way is a toll road because it's like yeah. not even a quarter mile from my house, yeah. but I'm not going to be spending five bucks a day to right. go to work. There's, there's cost factors. There's there's life. You know, you wouldn't have these stressful problems if you're using the toll road. 
I'm sorry, yeah. man. <laughs> I know that every time you put on a load segment, it's something that you personally have pain with. So I'm sorry, man. No, there's no real pain there. I'm, it's just, it's just my life. You know, it really grinds my gears. Yeah. I'll tell you this is like, I don't drive as much anymore. So that's one of the reasons why like, I just don't care. Like I'm stretching everything I can out of this Xterra because I'm not on the road, but I did have that actually happen to me in Oakland, believe it or not, where like some douchebag, I was in a construction area and it popped out of nowhere. And I was like, Oh, I got to get over. I'm like, Oh, I'll get over here. This dude like literally just didn't give two fucks. He just kept yeah. scooting further and further. Yeah. He was I'm, like, I'm, I'm not, not letting you in. in. I will not let, not you, let in. you in. Nope. Yeah. You are not. Nope. It was I only guess until you've you, been that person before. Be honest yeah. with yourself. Oh, you've no, been I, that person. Oh, I am yeah, that I'm person. Not. I, yeah. Yeah. yeah like, I'm not, there's, uh, there's no guilt. I don't have any guilt about this. I think you may have the person that won't let you miles away. Don't be a dick. But if it's the last 50 yards, fuck you, dude. I, I'm going to turn around. If you're looking at the entrance, and now you're deciding you have to get over. Fuck you. That's I right. feel the same way. Yep. But if you're back in line and maybe you didn't wait in the entire line on some level, you're like, just let them in. They don't they didn't even realize this was what the line was. Right. For. At some point you go, oh, no, there's a line and you stop and you get over. It's like, yeah, no, I got you, dude. We're good. Yeah. But if you yeah, if you're within striking distance of the exit, sorry, man, go down and turn around. Not my problem. Mm-hmm. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Gentlemen, this was a thoughtful episode. I thought there was spirited. plenty of back and forth. Yeah, spirited. I think spirit is spirited. an excellent way to say it. I think this was wonderful. Uh, certainly, probably more passionate than some of our more re- recent episodes. So I want to uh, thank you all for being here. I have to say that I will not be available next week. I have to work. Okay. So I will not be around, but what I can do is uh, I can set this up should the vice hosts want to do this on their own, but uh, no obligations for you. Magic 23, either you'll hear from us next week or you'll hear from us in two weeks to be decided. Are there any closing thoughts for tonight, gentlemen? I want to disagree with Leon more often. (laughs) I think I've said enough. (laughs) I'm going to lose friends after tonight, I think. No, you're not. I'm going to enjoy disagreeing with you more down the road. Absolutely. That's the fun part. We've disagreed our whole life. Pretty much. But we all agree, right? That I'm right. Is that what we said? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. 100%. Okay. Why are we doing this? Yeah. I don't know why. (laughs) I mean, pretty much. Magic 23, we'd appreciate it if you could tell your friends. Uh, as a new closing routine for the show, I want to bid you that if you like the show, I want you to hit subscribe on your podcast app, either Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. If you like the show, tell a friend about it, get them to subscribe. If you want to contact us, it's bottleofbrown at gmail.com. And a new one this time, if you want to leave us a voicemail message, we'll play it on the air, or we'll just talk about how wonderful it is and answer you 602 529 four five six two you can leave us a message for danny for leon you can leave him for mr j or anybody that we've had in the podcast magic 23 we want to expand you to be the magic 5000 so please tell your friends about the show please get involved let us know what you think contradict anything we've heard on the show give us ideas for content we want to hear from you we're recording this show on august 5th 
We'll see you around next time. We don't really have a closer, Leon. What should we say to end the Fuck show? Fuck you. Nope. Like no, not good. Not good. <laughs> we have to work on that one. Yeah, we need a closer. I have a version of that that I think would be funny if you guys like it. Yeah. How many yep. New Yorkers does it take to screw in a light bulb? Okay. How about Fuck you? you. <laughs> Priceless. Ladies and gentlemen, Priceless. thank you for listening to the Bottle of the Bomb podcast. We'll see you next time. Bye for now. This place is dead anyway, man.